Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cloud Architect podcast, a podcast about cloud technology and the people using it. Welcome, everyone. Nicholas Blank here with my co-host, Warren Dutoy. Hello again. For more information on this podcast, as well as other shows, browse to http colon forward slash forward slash thearchitects.cloud. No www. Thank you, Warren. In today's podcast, we're going to be discussing the newly released Azure Stack with a good friend of ours, Bhargav Shukla. Welcome, Bhargav. Thanks, Nick. Hello, everyone. So it's great to have you on the show. You and I have known each other for a little while. In fact, we, we met on the, the now dead or defunct Microsoft Masters program a few years ago. Absolutely remember that very crisply. Um, if you want to <laughs> call it crisply. fun <laughs> that we had, right, uh, of three weeks in Redmond and, of course, the, uh, the great learnings, I would say. I mean, it was really good program. I still miss it. And I not only uh, did the master's in exchange and, and link, but I used to be an instructor in both of them as well afterwards. So um, I dearly miss the program, to say the least. That's right. I remember you being a, a PowerShell instructor as well while you were working for Microsoft at the time, and you are now currently a an MVP. You still hold status as a Microsoft MVP? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so ever since I left Microsoft around a year after that, I was nominated and awarded the uh, Exchange MVP at that time, which then became Office Server and Services MVP. Well, for the people that don't know, you can't be an MVP and work for Microsoft at the same time. That's right. Yeah. And that's why I had to wait at least a year before I can be awarded MVP. Um, but, you know, I, I have been doing a lot of things, blogging and uh, um, holding the monthly user group meetings, uh, podcasts, public speaking. Um all of that uh, culminated into getting me awarded in exchange. And over time, they allowed multiple um, categories. So uh, now I hold MVP in Office Servers and Services and uh, Azure. So you're a, a dual MCM, you're a dual MVP, and you are also one of eight people in the world that holds status of MCM in anything and being a current MVP at the same time. That's right. So what do you do for fun? Um, I clone myself while we are on the train <laughs> of having doubles. <laughs> uh, no, not really. But um, uh, for fun, you know, there, there are a few things that I do. Uh, one of them uh, is my longtime hobby, and I still have to get good at it, is uh, flying RC airplanes. Uh, so far, I have flew a few times, and not every time, but almost every time, it has ended in a crash. So I fix the planes more than I fly, but I'm hoping one day I would be fixing less and flying more. Um I love flying in general, so one day maybe I'll sign up for a private pilot, but that's a little distance future, I guess. Barkov, you're in Philadelphia, and Warren is in Johannesburg. Tonight, I'm recording in Hong Kong. Today, we have a truly global show. 
sure. we have some audience questions that we're going to pose in due course. But for now, Bogov, do you want to tell us who you are, what do you do, and why are you interested in Azure Stack? Absolutely. So um, I come from Microsoft background heavily, uh, right? I, I started working in 97. And before I started working, uh, when I finished my college, I came out of college a civil engineer. Um, and there was nothing civil about it. When I learned computer, I just left everything else behind. Oh, wow. Funny enough, I went to computer classes to learn uh, AutoCAD, the, the computer-aided designing, which will uh, help me with, uh, with my civil engineering job. But I learned computer, and that was the downhill from there, right? It was all fast, and and and, and uh, everything else was too slow for me. So I stayed on yeah. the path and, uh, and, and stayed on uh, learning computers and teaching computers. So that was my first job, teaching computers. Um, over the years, I worked in Citrix. I worked with VMware. Um, I also had uh, some certifications from RSA. Uh, very few known at that time anyway. Uh, but yeah, I did a global deployment of RSA Secure ID. I, I did a large deployment of VMware um, in its early days uh, from VMware server timeframe, in fact, where you had to have a Linux or Windows server and run VMware server on top of it, uh, similar That's to what amazing. you have on the desktop. And then came the ESX, worked on that. And at some point, um, as the fate would have it, I joined Microsoft. So I leave everything else behind and focus truly uh, on Microsoft. So a lot of work uh, on Exchange, which brought us together, Nick, in 2010 at the MCM program. Because if you remember, that wasn't uh, something where you just sign up and go uh, by paying the fees. There were uh, scrutiny. There was interview process. They were making sure that you understand enough to go to the master's course because it wasn't where you go and learn if you don't know something, it's okay. You had to know a certain level of uh, yes. knowledge before you can actually jump into the master's because it was... Yeah. I remember that one of our required reading was read the entire exchange help file on TechNet. And that was one of the many things we had to do as required reading before we were allowed to attend. Yeah, I mean, the first day, you would remember Brian Reed, right? First day oh, yeah. starts the uh, the transport, and it doesn't end until almost midnight. And there yes. was no, oh, I don't know this basic item, can you explain kind of questions. That wasn't allowed or part of it because you were expected to know the basics. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, you know, eventually I worked at Microsoft for a while. Uh, I, I was... Uh, a dedicated PFE, so I stayed with one customer pretty much my entire uh, career at Microsoft while helping other customers as as the opportunities allowed me to. Um, and I stayed uh, in the training role as well where possible while running my user group in parallel. Uh, in the end, I ended up at camp after a while, you know, there uh, was an opportunity that was presenting itself that I couldn't uh, turn myself away from. And that was uh, a good thing because I have been with uh, camp for almost uh, four years, closing in on five years now. 
Um, and what I have been doing at camp is really looking after our strategic, uh, strategic alliances uh, lately. But uh, I started as a product research uh, director, looking after the products uh, and partner uh, integrations, gaps, what we need to do with our products to make sure it's aligned with the partner products like Exchange or Skype for Business or even other vendors' products, right? Want to make sure it works right. Uh, we have the features that are needed to support that mm -hmm. uh, vendor product. Um, so pretty exciting. And that brings me to answer a question of, you know, what brings me to Azure Stack or, you know, yes. why I'm working with it is, again, uh, as we... Uh, at Camp uh, are one of the top 10 marketplace providers in Azure in our category. Top because 10. Of top 10, yes. Uh, and that's only because we worked with Azure very early on, before the marketplace, in fact. If you remember the Microsoft Open, where you were able to upload your VHD as a vendor and it was available to download in Azure, yeah. there was no marketplace. We worked from that time onwards, so we made sure our product works in Azure when the official marketplace came around, we were the first one to work with Azure marketplace team to wet the process and make sure that it works from the logistics perspective. Our product went on in marketplace live as one of the first few. And uh, in our category, we were the first one, uh, first load balancer that was filling the gaps that Azure's own load balancer have. Um, so, that kind of brought us to Azure Stack when it was announced, and we were really excited to see the potential that it has. Uh, it's very obvious, right? Azure cannot reach every corner of the world, and there are places where it reaches today, but customers have uh, requirements that cannot be met, whether it's political, whether it's just uh, something superficial, but something that customers very set on, or some real requirements, like it has to be an offline deployment, right? Azure mm -hmm. cannot be yes. an offline deployment. So those are the things that Azure Stack uh, tries to address. And it is really that Azure's uh, logic running in your own data center. When you log into Azure Stack, it, it, it looks like Azure, behaves like Azure, uh, and it offers you the same type of services. So that brought us and me to looking at Azure Stack and, and uh, bring our products to Azure Stack as well. So Azure Stack is meant to be, from what you've just said, it's, it, it sits on-premises and it fits the on-premises whole. And there is, of course, a, a marketing piece that Microsoft calls hybrid and hybrid of course is anything that sits between on-premises and cloud however this kind of sits between that or does it sit purely in in the the customer's data center how is microsoft positioning stack in the light of that and what does it mean to the the normal it guy or even a purchasing decision maker who has to decide should they even buy stack mm, so to talk about hybrid really quick, right? If we go back to our exchange days, the exchange hybrid when Office 365 came out was what? You have uh, exchange on-prem and then you want to either migrate or coexist and start using Office 365 services. So you have exchange in both places, exchange online and exchange on-prem. 
in Azure Stack, the, that's the same idea, right? You have your own uh, Azure Stack because Azure Stack by definition is stack that's running in your data center, right? And then you have Azure. The idea is to, for developers, for an example, it's write once, run everywhere concept. You can use your own Azure Stack for test and development purposes. You develop in Azure Stack, write as if you are running your workloads in Azure. And when you're ready to publish, and the idea here is, you know, if it's hybrid, you want to run and leverage Azure's reach. So you're going to then put your production workload, just whatever you have developed in Stack, you just lift your code and put it in production in Azure. And now you have the global reach, right? So, so uh, that's that's one idea. If it's uh, infrastructure as a service-based VMs that you're running, and for some reason you want to expand your reach, you can do that as well. Um, and I, I, I suppose we will talk a little bit of details later. But uh, you have certain things that are in Azure Stack today. And it's worth uh, noting that Azure Stack is what Azure is in public cloud, as in it's a living thing. So what you have in Azure Stack at launch is just a tiny set of services, which will keep expanding into more that Microsoft will port into your stack. So you will be able to consume more of Azure services. So before we move off this question, are you saying then that I get something from Microsoft today and tomorrow that might be a, a bit of a, a different picture and does Stack update itself or do I have, as the customer, have a responsibility to update my Stack to do something? Uh, so Stack is, uh, is seen as an appliance, you will get your stack of servers. You start with four nodes minimum. It could be up to 12 servers in a, in a stack. Um, but it is seen as an appliance from Microsoft perspective. You won't be managing the infrastructure VMs or the hardware. Uh, of course, you would be maintaining the hardware, but you don't need to know what's making up this stack that you see, right? All the resource providers, all the services that's offered by it are running in some uh, form of VMs or web services that are making up this stack. But when it comes to updating that, you uh, update it as the updates come in. You have some flexibility into scheduling that. But you can't say, well, the update came in, but I don't want to apply the update at all. Right. So it's a little bit like uh, Windows Update, but on steroids for stack. Uh, that's right. Because if you think about it, uh, it is um, dangerous to do updates. Always. Well, <laughs> the updates are always dangerous, Warren. You're absolutely right. <laughs> But in the stack, if you think about initial announcements, right? They uh, Microsoft talked about um, you can deploy Azure Stack on your own servers, whatnot. But over time, uh, they said, well, we are going to have certain launch partners, 
And those are the only ones who's gonna offer Azure Stack. In future, we will expand that offerings. The reason they did that is their update was one of the critical pieces that has to function flawlessly. The only way you can do that is you control which hardware is going to be because the updates in this case is not just your Windows updates. So pretty much what Steve Jobs has said from the start. Mm-hmm. It's a full stack. It's 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 the hardware updates, hardware firmware. How many times I have walked into customers uh, who had a firmware that wasn't updated for ten years, and uh, you know, as Microsoft, we had some real contention because customer was like, "Well, you prove that it's not a Microsoft issue." Right when everything is pointing obviously to something firmware or something networking and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Azure Stack, the update applies to the whole uh, system, right? Not just the VMs, not just the Windows. It applies to the drivers, firmware update, and everything. And that's why Microsoft had to limit it to who the launch partners are going to be and slowly expand into other uh, vendors. So now we, we we all know that this isn't the first time Microsoft has built a stack like this. Excuse the pun, um, but uh, we all remember WAP. And uh, how is Stack meant to be different from WAP? I mean, other than the things that we've already spoken about, um, we know that WAP was built on top of VMM um, and tried to bring you the same thing. Where did, where is Stack different? And hang on, before we answer that, just tell us what WAP means. And it's not a reverse proxy. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, and it's not some sort of a provider either. It's a Windows Azure Pack. Um, so uh, all the acronyms, uh, they tend to be fun, right? And sometimes overlapping acronyms too. Definitely. Uh, yes, the Windows Azure Pack, if I go back a few years, of course, um, Azure Stack wasn't even mentioned, uh, but you had you had you have Hyper V. A uh, lot of customers use Hyper V, and then you have to figure out how you're going to automate certain things, how you're going to do the runbooks, how you're going to run your data center as a cohesive unit instead of individual Hyper-V machines where you're creating the VMs on top of and managing them somehow. I think that's where people fell short is um, they built their Hyper-V environments before they thought about that. And um, when they tried to put in VMM after that, it became a problem. And that was when WAP was even more difficult to implement was because people never thought about implementing their fabric first. Right. No, let me put it differently, right? Uh, It wasn't that people bought it before uh, they planned everything. That's usually the case in a lot of things. So no doubt that happened. But if you think of Hyper-V, when initially Hyper-V came out, there wasn't uh, much of the management piece beyond Hyper-V's own uh, management tools, right? VMM came after. VMM then provided you much... uh, broader set of management tools that you can use for Hyper-V and make it a a, a cohesive unit. Uh, And then the Windows Azure Pack was the idea of bringing the automation, resource provisioning, and uh, the data center fabric creation ideas, although some of that was uh, in VMM. Windows Azure Pack brought the top layer of automation and management tool set from Microsoft, which 
the idea with that was to bring it close to um, what Azure looked like, right? Um, so that um, is what Azure Pack was. Uh, the problem was it was still the bolt-on tools, right? You had you had to have uh, Hyper-V, you had to have uh, VMM, and then you were putting all of these uh, additional software uh, that makes up this uh, Windows Azure pack. It wasn't true Azure, right? Uh, so for Azure stack, Microsoft went a step further and said, how do we port what we have, for an example, infrastructure as a service, VMs? When you look at VMs, you have a specific set of VMs. BS1 underscore V2 is one VM that has, um, I think, two cores and seven gigs of RAM. When you have a web service that, that uh, a .NET developer is using, for an example, they deploy on certain service and certain type of uh, web application that has certain resources underneath to support that application. Now, how do you as, as a developer or as an IT admin run something in your data center knowing it's in true parity with Azure so that when you want to move, when you want to burst to the cloud, when you want to expand from your test dev to production scenarios, how do you make sure it's in parity? Uh, and that's where Azure Stack brought all of that parity. You have the parity in the API. So when you write the API calls, you know if it works in Azure Stack, it's going to work in Azure. You know when you run a VM, it's the same VM size and VM type that you have in Azure. Um, and then for offline scenarios, it provides you that true out-of-the-box appliance setup where you just bring it in it's pre-installed, you have minimal configuration to do, and you can start using it with, you know, you, you deploy your VMs or deploy your services, what, you, what have you. So in multiple ways, Azure Stack provides you what's much more improved set of services that is in true parity with Azure than uh, when you compare it to Windows Azure Pack. So in... So with WAP, we knew that customers were able to bring their own hardware and that, that caused a little bit of pain in the WAP ecosystem with firmware mismatches and customers bringing different brands of network cards and hoping that everything would work on top of the provisioning work that they've done with VMM and various frameworks on top of that. So I'm assuming that if I'm Joe Hoster, that I can do the same? I can go to HP and buy some hardware and put Stack on top or Lenovo or Dell. Can I do that or how does it work today? Well, and you mentioned pain with WAP, uh, uh, you know, mismatch of formers and, and, and other things. Now, the pain was on the flip side when Microsoft announced you can't use your own hardware for Azure Stack. Now you can use your own hardware in Azure Stack if you're deploying a proof of concept, which you can do with uh, publicly available TP3 bits right now. But for production, that's not the case. You have to purchase Azure Stack from uh, the three launch partners, HP, Lenovo, um, 
and uh, Dell or uh, with with other partners as they eventually become validated. You know, uh, you have Cisco, you have Huawei who are lined up to be the Azure stack providers. So you can purchase from them when they become available, when their offerings become available. But like I was saying earlier, Microsoft wanted this, uh, this experience to be seamless when they offer updates. You shouldn't have a mix of your own hardware and Microsoft has no uh, update for your firmware and ending up in poor experience, whether it's for admin or whether it's for end user. You don't want to have those kind of problems. And 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 that's when Microsoft announced that they're going to have a limited set of partners. There was some rumblings in the the, the customers because, of course, they want um, options they want flexibility so yeah it's understandable but you know it has story for both sides one side wants flexibility the other one wants to deliver the best experience does that mean that i can go to one of the three partners today and give them some money and i'm done with it or do i have to pay microsoft as well how does this work so you are purchasing the system from uh, the vendors. You are absolutely paying them for the hardware, for the uh, you know the switches, the hyperconvert system, basically that includes the storage and everything else. You are paying them the upfront cost for purchasing that hardware, and then you are paying Microsoft uh, the use of Azure Stack software components, which by no means is a small amount of moving pieces that Microsoft has included to make it a, a, a yeah. service, right? right. But, but uh, yes, you are paying both. So do we know how we're going to build for Stack yet or how Microsoft is going to build for Stack? I could just hear that question coming. Uh, yes, so <laughs> the, 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 uh, the billing or how you're going to pay Microsoft uh, when you buy Azure Stack is you have two options. One, which is uh, the most common option that Microsoft's talking about is pay as you use software pricing. So you are not going to pay um, like you pay for Windows Server upfront, right? You're going to pay as you start using Azure Stack. When you deploy a VM, you're going to pay uh, for the VM type that you use or, or for the base virtual machine. If you run a Windows VM, just like you do in Azure, you're going to pay for the base VM cost and the Windows license cost, unless uh, if you have the hybrid licensing and you already have license that can be used in Azure Stack. Um, and then other services, you know, the web apps and whatnot that you can use in Azure Stack, you would be paying for each of them as you use the services. You won't be paying until you start using those services and you would pay for that uh, based on usage. Now, there might be uh, environments that are completely offline for whatever reason. You know, you're running your data center in a submarine, <laughs> whatever the, yeah. the really good offline use case may be. You uh, don't have a way to connect to Azure to report your usage and then pay based on the usage then you also have an option to go for capacity uh, pricing, which is kind of a fixed fee annual subscription. 
and that is based on your hardware configuration, the number of physical cores and so on. Okay, that makes sense. Although if you are in any kind of disconnected environment like a military application, then I guess that would still make sense. Absolutely, yeah. You have the military applications, you have some secure government installations who have no external connectivity whatsoever. So in those environments, it makes sense. Yes, it does. And uh, when it comes to provisioning a workload in stack and then getting it to Azure and back again when you're done with it, how are we going to do that? So provisioning a workload in Azure stack and then make moving it to Azure, um, there are things that are unanswered yet, right? Is it possible or is it going to be possible? The answer to that is absolutely yes. Uh, if it is a VM, for an example, as you use the ASR today, that's one of the ways of moving the VMs. Will there be other ways to move your VMs from Azure Stack to Azure and back? Um, I, I don't know what other ways Microsoft might support eventually. Uh, but what you can do today with ASR, for an example, or exporting VHD and importing it in your Azure stack. And before you go too far down that road, let's just define what ASR is, since not everyone who listens to the show can drown an acronym soup. Ah, absolutely, yes. I, you know, as as um, as the consultants or the the techie. Uh, propeller heads, we tend to get drown ourselves into those acronyms and we forget how easy it is to forget that others don't know those acronyms. Yes, the normals. Yeah, the ASR is Azure Site Recovery and the name can be really deceiving in this case because even though it says Azure Site Recovery, it has a lot to offer. It, it offers the backup, it offers recovery. So you can back up your virtual machines from on-prem or from the Azure in a different region to a different region, right? But beyond that, it also can be used as a migration tool. So you can take ASR, connect your VMs to ASR service and migrate them from, on, from, from your on-prem, for an example, whether it's Hyper-V or physical machine, into Azure as a virtual machine. So it's kind of a, a, a migration uh, strategy you can use ASR for as well. Uh, gives you options. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's primarily um, named and marketed as a backup uh, and a disaster recovery system. But it has its other uses. Which takes me to my next question. When it comes to um, the workloads that Stack supports, what can we run on Stack? And uh, then dovetailing off of that, um, what workloads would it support? Would Microsoft support? Um, and uh, open source workloads, are they included as well? Yeah, so let's let's start with you know what you can run in Stack. Now, I would love to say everything Azure does, but it's if you if you think about the resources required for something like an AI or IoT, uh, there are a lot of moving pieces in the cloud that may not be possible to port into your Azure Stack. So, uh, at least initially, at, at launch, 
Azure Stack supports virtual machines, Azure Storage, and Azure App Services, which includes web apps, mobile apps, API apps, functions. Um, and this allows you to run majority of base workloads that you run in your environment, in your data center today, right? The services, like I said, Azure Stack is a living thing similar to what Azure is, and they stay in parity. So this will allow Microsoft to port more and more services into Azure Stack over time with the updates. So the updates is, like I said, not just Windows updates, right? It, it brings you additional supported workloads into Azure Stack over time as well. And so again, starting with basic set of services that you use in your data center today. Now let's take an example of IoT. What if you want to use IoT and you're developing for it uh, using Stack? You can uh, make calls, you can have your VMs and your web apps running in Azure Stack and making the calls through the gateway service into Azure. So you will be able to use it, you will be able to uh, code for it. And uh, all of that makes a true hybrid scenario where certain services are running in cloud, certain services are running in Azure Stack. So then I guess you could do that with um, machine learning as well? That's true. So any of the services that are too complex to port to Azure Stack, you still will be able to leverage them through the hybrid setup, right? Uh, and if you don't tell into your second question about the open source and support for uh, other workloads, uh, think of Linux for an example. Uh, whatever is supported in, in Azure will be coming over to Azure Stack. Um, for an example, you know, if you have um, Ubuntu uh, that's supported or uh, Red Hat Linux that's supported today. In, uh, in Azure, uh, you will be able to just use those, uh, those VMs, those services, those, uh, the, that, that software uh, through Azure Stack, uh, whether you import the VHD manually, you know, a virtual hard drive, or you use the marketplace offering through the marketplace syndication. And as I'm throwing out that term there, let me just quickly explain what that market, uh, marketplace uh, syndication is. Um, if you're using Azure, you're familiar with marketplace, you can just go there and pick a type of VM or pick a type of web app that's ready for you to consume. You just take that and um, you're then able to deploy it with just a couple of clicks. When it comes to Azure Stack, you also have that similar concept of marketplace that you can go to. This is your marketplace. Uh, that You took the question out of my mouth. I was just about to ask that. <laughs> so your own marketplace. That's your own marketplace because it's an on-prem deployment, right? But what goes in that marketplace? It could be your custom offering that you build Right? So you can create an ARM template that will deploy a domain controller and a SharePoint server and an exchange server, for an example, if you want to do that. And it deploys the entire service. You can create your custom offering, whatever that is. Or you can download the 
currently available, for an example, you know, there is a Windows server from Microsoft that you can download right from Marketplace. So you say download from Azure, right? And it downloads what is available in Azure today, which is enabled for Azure Stack. And it takes a little bit to download that and it becomes an offering just like you have in Azure. You can download uh, a whole bunch of vendor offerings uh, such as Bitnami has a bunch of offerings that you can download in Azure Stack today. Or, uh, you know, self-plug uh, of Camp's Loadmaster is also available in Azure Marketplace today. So you can go to uh, your, your Azure Stack Marketplace, pick any of these offerings and say, download it for my use. It becomes available in Azure Stack. And then as you set up your tenants, you can make those offers available to them as you see fit. And then that takes me to my next question, which is uh, the SDK, the Software Development Kit. How's that going to work? And I'm guessing people could then write their own migration tools if they wanted to. That's right. So because of the API parity, you're able to use the SDK and write whatever software you see fit for both Azure and Azure Stack, you know, and Microsoft doesn't want you to think Azure that Azure Stack as something completely different running in your data center. They want you to think of that as an extension of Azure in your data center. So you can write the code that runs in both places. You're able to offer your custom solutions, whether it's migration, or whether it's something else that's very unique in the workplace that you see uh, fit for certain verticals or to the broader audience. So then will it come with, if you if you look at Stack and how you manage Stack, I mean, ex- in, now in, in Azure, you've got the portal and then you've even got the command line now through the portal as well. Um, if let's say I'm running my Linux machine on my Mac and I now want to run the Azure CLI, and I want to connect to my stack or somebody else's stack. Is there an auto discover service that's going to be there? How, how, how do you connect to your stack if it's not portal-based? Well, so Azure Stack has its own portal. When you deploy it, you will be connecting to your portal internally or um, I believe Microsoft's also going to provide you uh, ability to connect from external IP so you can connect and manage remotely. Um, and it has uh, uh, the Azure PowerShell or Azure CLI similar to that for Azure Stack. So you would be using uh, the same Azure uh, PowerShell, but of course, if you uh, can think of Azure Stack, uh, it's a little bit different in the sense that it runs in your data center. So there are some caveats, and you have the Azure modules uh, that you have to download for your PowerShell, and you'll, you're able to manage Azure Stack uh, if you want to use PowerShell and, and things like that. Not sure if I answered your question completely, though. No, that was perfect. Thank you. So there's a question that Nick's going to ask from the audience. Um, Over to you, Nick. So we opened the show to questions, and we announced this on LinkedIn and Facebook earlier. So in future, 
will be doing this on our Facebook group that we'll speak about in a little while. So the question that we had from the audience specifically is in context of the local data center that we're going to get in South Africa in 2018. And I guess this question has relevance to any region in the world where there is a local data center. So the question is, with the announcement of a local data center in South Africa and bandwidth improving in terms of quality and cost, what is the future of Azure Stack? And should the focus not start shifting to full and proper public cloud space in Azure? And so I guess what we'd want to dovetail onto that is why should we bother with Azure Stack in our own data centers when we have Azure public? Right. So, a uh, really good question. I, I, I love this discussion. I had this uh, with a colleague of mine. And that is, you know, you have, you have cloud. Cloud has its place. But ever since uh, cloud offerings uh, became public and available, you know, uh, even, even Office 365, I remember uh, discussing this with, with uh, colleagues at Microsoft and, and at my customer. It was, why should I go to cloud, right? Now the question, and I, I love this, how time changes the perspective. The question now is, why should I not go to cloud? And why why do I bother with Azure Stack, right? And, and that's, that's great. Right. That's good to see that shift. Uh, but the point is, you know, a lot of lot of uh, customers think of data as their own property. And despite all the assurances from Azure, from Microsoft, uh, of how secure the data is in their data centers and how portable it is, there is still apprehension. So that's one of the factors in affecting customers' decision of where they're gonna put their data, whether it's gonna be in the cloud, even if it's a local data center, it's not my data center, right? Uh, yeah. That's that's one factor affecting the decisions. The other uh, is, uh, like I mentioned earlier, is geopolitical or uh, complete offline data centers where they have no connectivity. They don't want to have any connectivity for the reason of the, the, the type of data being stored or type of services being run, government services and things like that. Um, there are multiple reasons to say why you need something that's not going to be Azure, even though the same thing is available in Azure, right? The, the, the uh, downside of that is that you cannot compete in scale and the efficiencies that the scale brings, uh, such as Azure. So you won't mm -hmm. be able to negotiate the... Uh, the hardware contracts with Dell or HP or Lenovo in uh, at the scale that Azure can. So your your hardware yes. cost is going to be more. But if customer has that reason of why it has to be their deployment, then that cost is a moot point, right? You just can't put your systems in Azure. Then you're going to pay what the cost is going to be for your deployment. So putting that aside, um, why would you not consider uh, uh, Azure and rather use Azure Stack? It really comes down to why customer decides that I need it to be in my data center, whether it's security, whether it's geopolitical reasons, 
or whether it's strictly the compliance reasons. Or the uh, last uh, one is the complete offline deployment. I love how you just uh, really nicely packaged things into this big bucket called uh, geopolitical and then just walked away from it so that don't, we don't really have to unpack that. No. Don't open the box. <laughs> don't open the box. So we are getting towards the end of the show. Bogav, is there anything that you'd like to plug? And of course, how do people find you? Yeah, let's start with uh, how people find me. Uh, I'm easy to find uh, on Google or Bing or your favorite uh, search engine, but you can skip all of that and go straight to uh, my blog, bargavs.com, B-H-A-R-G-A-V-S.com. Uh, and you'll find me there. You can contact me from there. There is a web form you can uh, plug in and it comes straight to my email. I'm usually very responsive. Um, you uh, can find me on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. On Twitter, my handle is same as my blog address, Bargavs, B-H-A-R-G-A-V-S, on Twitter. And you'll find me there. I'm pretty active there as well and try to be responsive. Um, and then I do want to mention something that I'm uh, doing, uh, although it's for my work, it's, it's on common interest, uh, what is called a hybrid reality roundup. It's an effort where we have a webinar every uh, two months where we talk about uh, current topics on hybrid, whether it's Azure, whether it's Azure Stack. Uh, it's really very helpful to the cloud practitioners, as we call it. And the effort expands into a book that I'm writing, which is also the hybrid reality for cloud practitioners that walks you through uh, the basics of cloud, licensing, deployments, infrastructure as a service, uh, different services, and so on. And it's, it's designed to be a chapter every uh, month or two that drops and you can access it directly. Uh, you can sign up for that at uh, hybridrealityroundup.com and it's a free subscription. You just have to sign up with your email and that way we can send you an email every time we have a new chapter ready for you to read um, and also allows you to stay up to date with the new webinars coming up that you can join. Which we should be on one soon, I think. Which you are on, sir, uh, this week, actually, coming up very soon. Let's not forget you also run a user group locally in Philly. That's true. And uh, for those who are local, uh, I welcome them with open arms. Our user group, I started it when I was in Microsoft because I started looking for an exchange user group and I didn't find one interested area that I can go to. Uh, so I started my own, and over so time, yep, and it it uh, it has turned into what we call a cloud user group now because we cover wide range of topics, from Exchange to Skype for Business to Azure to Azure Stack to Windows, uh, anything and everything that has to do with modern data center topic. How do people find the user group and how do they join? So we meet every month. It's called Philadelphia Cloud Technologies Users Group. We are on Meetup. 
but uh, the link might be a little too uh, complicated to just spell it out here. So you can just put it in show notes and that would be great. For sure. That's fantastic. So Bhagav, we, we sincerely appreciate your time. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to meet and talk with us about Azure Stack. Absolutely great talking to you, Nick and Warren. Thank you so much. With that, you can find me, Nicholas, on the Twitter at Nicholas Blank, as well as Facebook and LinkedIn. I also blog at blankmanblog.com. And you can find me, Warren, uh, on the Twitter at WarrenDT. I also have a blog, www.waza.co.za. Uh, you can also find our show on Facebook at facebook.com slash thearchitects.cloud. Or you can go to our website, again, http colon forward slash forward slash thearchitects.cloud. And with that, we say goodbye.